Dr. Grace Hammond. And I'm Marissa Tuala. Marissa is my special guest here for this third installment of the Summer Old Book Club series with Jane Austen's Persuasion. I'm so excited you're here today in person, <laughs> in person. all the way from Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> um, so I'm thrilled that Marissa could be here with me today, right here sitting next to me, which is so fun. So fun. I um, have to introduce Marissa to you guys. Marissa and I met in college at the University of Arizona, Bear Down Wildcats. Bear Down. In 2006. So that was quite a long time ago now. A very long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> we were housemates for two years in college and became close friends. And she was actually one of my bridesmaids, which was a decade ago. Oh, God. Also a long time ago. <laughs> Marissa's a proud Arizonan. Yes. Like myself. Mm-hmm. She taught math to middle schoolers for many years in Arizona before teaching math overseas in Shanghai and in Portugal. She's now a math curriculum specialist for a school district in Phoenix, and she received her master's in education from Grand Canyon University only a few weeks ago. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, Marissa is curious. She's really fun. She's truly faithful, and she's present in the lives of people she loves. She loves to travel and she's actually been to around 40 countries, which is so cool and so ridiculous. And not enough. (laughs) She's constantly on the rampage for the next country. Mm -hmm. So yes. And she's also the person I turn to for fashion advice and my favorite person with whom to watch movies, especially in the theater. We've been doing that for a long time. Yes. Yes. And every time we're together, we make sure to watch a movie. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So I'm really excited you're here, Mark. Me too. My very first podcast. Yes. (laughs) To discuss with me uh, chapters seven through nine of volume one of Persuasion. But first, of course, I have to ask you your questions. All right. Let me just say, I'm very excited to be here. I was so excited when Grace asked me to do this because we always talk about books and she's so wise. So I'm hoping I can add something to this podcast today. (laughs) Thanks, Tamar. So question number one, Mm -hmm. what is your favorite author or book from more than 50 years ago? So I have two answers for that now. My first one that I came up with was Jane Eyre. My mom loved that book and I tried it a long time ago in the very beginning when she's a kid and there's this weird ghost scene, I was kind of the red room. Yes. I was like <laughs> not into it. And I stopped. Yeah. So I tried it a second time, skipped that part. And then I loved it. <laughs> like I couldn't put it down. And then recently I realized I also love Sherlock Holmes. Oh, that I, I love Sherlock yes. Holmes. Starting yes. with like the gray mouse detective when we were kids. <laughs> Disney's version. <laughs> I saw like all the movies and the TV shows. And then I finally read the book after um, the BBC Sherlock version. Cause they're very oh. close to the books. The stories are. Yes. Um, and then I read them and I was like, Oh, these are so cool. They're really fun. And yeah. I highly recommend by the way, if any of you are looking for a summer read, mm. that's really fun. Actually Sherlock Holmes would be a great choice. Yeah. And they're not too long. No, either. So you can just like Sit down, read one in an evening with a glass of wine or a cup of tea. Yep. It's very, very pleasant. Yep. So, so, so those are, those are my uh, answers. <laughs> All right. Question number two. Mm-hmm. Which literary character do you most identify with and why? 
So um, I texted Grace a lot because I really had a hard time with this one. And I listened to the other episodes and I'm not the only one. It seems like that struggles to answer I think it's this the question. hardest question. I really maybe do. Maybe it's just like, maybe you can see other people as characters, yes. but it's harder to like know yourself that well. I think that's very true. So I had years ago asked Grace, which Jane Austen character would I be? And you gave me both Marianne and Eleanor from Sense and Sensibility because I'm a mix of rational and emotional. <laughs> I still think that's a very good true. <laughs> <laughs> and then we were texting and then um, Grace said an answer that I really liked. And it's here on my phone. Um, she said one option could be Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings because I uh, love home, but in, I'm an intrepid traveler, brave, people oriented, loyal and kind. So Grace said it. So it sounds humble when I say it. <laughs> So I I'm going to go with those. I think that you're really good, Samwise Gamgee. I feel really good about my answer. I think it works. I'm just not as good as cook as Sam is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. Potatoes. <laughs> Boil and mash them, stick them in, in a stew. stew. <laughs> I know. We're, I mean, you, as you might be able to see if you're watching the YouTube version, I have a Hobbit cover framed above my um, kitchen table. So I'm a of a mega lord of the rings fan except not the hobbit movies which were absolutely <sighs> wretched so that was that's a Mm-mm. side note but anyways side note question number three when was the first time you read a jane austen novel and what did you think at the time so i it was my senior year of high school as an ap english which kind of was a surprise for me because i was not a, a reader i was more of a math person in school math curriculum specialist yeah. future math curriculum specialist so um my dad who taught in my high school said I should take AP because it's Mr. Mangan and Mr. Mangan is the best English teacher and I was like all right cool we read Pride and Prejudice as our first book in the curriculum and he taught it in such a way that I could understand what was happening and I was I wanted to read ahead, which I'd never done that in English class before. I sometimes just read spark notes and then didn't finish the book. But in this class, I read every single book, even if I didn't like it. And he was such a good inspiration for me to enjoy literature, even if I don't like the story or the characters. (laughs) So I loved Pride and Prejudice. And that year, I think I think also the movie came out with Keira Knightley. 2005, that was the Keira Knightley movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. so my love for Pride and Prejudice just like bloomed. Yes. Oh, <laughs> and then I was a Jane Austen fan from there. I love that. Yeah. So thanks, Mr. Mangan. Way to go, Mr. Mangan. Shout out to Years all the teachers. Later. Yes, thank you to all the teachers. Um, should we get to persuasion? All right, let me get my notes on my phone. Because that's, that's how I do it. Shall we begin? Yes. I would like to begin with, so if we can reorient ourselves, Mm. Captain Wentworth has just come to um, the Musgroves and uh, they have heard of him they just remembered that he was the captain of poor Dick Mus- Musgrove. That's right. That's right. Um, and so they're very eager to meet him. And Anne is kind of horrified by this turn of events where she's thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be around him all the time. Mm-hmm. This is going to be really hard. This is what I've been waiting for. Yes. And um, 
we begin chapter seven with this line. A few days more and Captain Wentworth was known to be at Kellynch and Mr. Musgrove had called on him and come back warm in his praise. And he was engaged with the Crofts to dine at Uppercross by the end of another week. And the reason why I like this beginning is that it's so subtle. It sounds just like a basic informative mm -hmm. sentence, mm -hmm. but in classic Jane Austen form, we have these like little undercurrents, these little themes where it's not just like, oh, Captain Wentworth arrived at Kellynch and Mr. Musgrove called on him. We have this phrase that I am clearly like kind of obsessed <laughs> with that we've been following in previous podcasts where it's known, who's known, what does it mean to be known? Oh. What's the significance of like, what kinds of knowledge matter? Mm -hmm. How do we truly know each other? So there's just little hint here where Jane Austen begins this chapter with Cap Captain Wentworth was known, known to be at Kellynch. Not that, um, and she didn't have to say it that way, but she did. Oh. She, it's a little, I think, a little I nod to that. these themes. <laughs> um, I love that. Yes. So- Everyone is eager to know him mm -hmm. because he is a person worth knowing now. Ah, yes. Another known to drop right yes. there. <laughs> yes. Um, so there he is. And what, what did you make of this beginning, Mark? Uh, well, I was really excited. I've been in anticipation for a long time for Anne and Captain Wentworth to reunite because you know, that's what it's all about is yes. them getting together again. Yes. Um, the beginning, I was a lot of focused on, I know, um, with Mary and her kids. And I thought I've in the, the other Jane Austen books I've read or watched the movies of kids are not usually a big part of the story. Oh, this is a really interesting point. Yes. And now like there's a lot of kids that have been a big part of the story. Yes. So what do you think? Like what, when you encounter that, what do you make of that? What do you think that, that the significance of that is? Cause I, I, you're right. They're not really around except as like weird background props, yes. you know, like barely mentioned like in, um, sense and sensibility, mm. you have the really insipid woman. I'm, um, that's their married to their cousin, John, who are hosting them. I'm forgetting oh, her name, yes. but all she can talk about are her children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's like the sole focus. And for Jane Austen, that was always kind of a tagline. It was like, Women who could only talk about their children, not a good thing. Yeah. Like, like you really need to level up your conversation game. Definitely. Um, but so this is really interesting that children appear so prominently in this section. Yeah. And just parenting in general, we're seeing people parent their kids in this yes. book. Well, mainly, mainly a Mary and her husband. Yes. And the lack of parenting. Happy. Really. Well, and <laughs> really parenting. And Anne being the parent and the caregiver and that I I really thought that that is interesting that um all of this chapter seven through nine all of this is uh viewed through this lens of like of the or I guess the backdrop of this whole storyline in this section is little Charles and his injuries. Yes. Like yes. he provides the like reasons, reasons for, for all the action yes. in this whole <laughs> section, which is fascinating. And mm -hmm. you're right, unlike Jane Austen. So yeah. why do you think she would do that? What does it mean? 
That's a great question, Grace. <laughs> I, I just was thinking about parenting and there's a few lines in there about um, a few quotes that I pulled uh, when Charles was sick and he was injured and they were trying to figure out like who's going to take care of him, who's going to watch them. And uh, the husband, what's his name again? Charles. Charles. Oh, there's Charles. big Charles and big, little, little Charles. Big Charles yes. goes, what was there for a father to do? That was quite a female case. And then um, he also says, nursing does not belong to a man. A sick child is always the mother's property. So there's a lot of things like that with I'm in the modern lens being like, okay, so we're talking about gender roles also between these parenting yes. um, uh, examples as well. So I don't know if Jane is pointing out the, the differences because it's wrong. Like men should be involved with their kids when they're hurt. It's not a woman's thing. Or if she's just pointing out, that's just society. Well, I think when I read that, I think you're right. Like, I think it's, she's not cool with it. Yeah. Like it, I mean, I don't know how much to say, like Austin is saying, um, it should, it should be a man's role to be in the sick room or, um, but she's definitely saying, hey, there's something deficient here in the kind of love and attention that Charles and Mary offer little Charles, mm -hmm. right? And so, and this is true of other Musgroves as well. So I noticed like there's the initial fall. So um, if you haven't read it for a few days or if you're still catching up, what happens is that little Charles Musgrove, and I don't think we know how old he but I, I'm assuming around like four or five because okay. the littler one is two that okay. is mentioned. He falls and he hits his head very badly and um, his collarbone was dislocated and he hit his spine. And so that's what they're really worried about yeah. is that this could be actually a very serious injury. It's not one of those like, um, it's not like I have old cut book. On my knee. Yeah. Or like <laughs> when I was a kid reading old books, I was always like, they're also worried about catching colds from like wet clothes. And that yes. seems so weird yes. to me, <laughs> which obviously like I, you know, now realize that it was because a cold could turn into something so much yeah. more severe. But what I'm saying is that this isn't in that category. Like this is legit. This is scary. This is potentially a devastating injury and they aren't sure yet. Yeah. This would be like you rushing your kid to the emergency room being like the wife needs to take care of it. <laughs> yes. And so um, the doctor comes, examines them, and then uh, the two um, Miss Musgroves, Louisa and Henrietta, come, and Captain Wentworth had been at dinner at their house, and because of little Charles's injury, um, none of the people at the cottage could come to dinner and meet him. So the aunts come over. And they, and the, and the older Musgroves as well, but Louisa and Henrietta stay a little bit longer, stay five minutes behind their father and mother to endeavor to express how perfectly delighted they were with <laughs> Captain mm -hmm, Wentworth, mm -hmm. how much handsomer, how infinitely more agreeable than they thought him than any individual among their male acquaintance who had been at all a favorite before how glad they had been to hear Papa invite him to stay to dinner, how sorry when he said it was quite out of his power and how glad again, when he had promised to reply to Papa and Mama's farther pressing invitations to come and dine with them on the morrow, actually on the morrow. And he had promised it in so pleasant a manner as if he felt all the motive of their attention just as he ought. And in short, 
He had looked and said everything with such exquisite grace that they could assure them all their heads were both turned by him and off they ran, quite as full of glee as of love and apparently more full of Captain Wentworth than of little Charles. So this is quite the um, revealing statement Mm -hmm. where in this same paragraph of describing the physician soothing the frightened parents and Anne, we have this gushing of praise about Captain Wentworth by Louisa and Henrietta. Yeah, I would love a compliment like that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and we see how, basically how this family, while we really like the Musgroves and they're yeah. a great family, And in the last chapter, we saw how they were such a better model of family love and attention towards one another Mm -hmm. than the Elliot's. Mm -hmm. But here we really see their shortcomings and their, Mm -hmm. their failures to like really attend to one another. Yeah. Yeah. And their priorities uh, kind of always go with their, um, what they need and their desires. So you talk about like, they were meaning to meet Captain Wentworth. And is that the same time where, um, Charles and Mary trying to figure out who would go. Yes, so this is the morrow. Okay, this is the morrow. On the morrow, morrow. actually, on the morrow. Let's talk about that all the time, please. (laughs) Let's talk about on the morrow. On the morrow. (laughs) So, um, yes. So at first, we have Charles Musgrove. Well, the child's going on so well. He wished so much to be introduced to Captain Wentworth. Maybe he could join them. Mary says, oh, no, Charles. Like, indeed, what if something should happen? Mm -hmm. So they're both like, okay, we're not going to go. Child had a good night nothing to increase alarm, but it must be a work of time to ascertain that no harm had been done to the spine. Yep. So then the part that you pointed out. Go ahead, the game. Um, and the very interesting question you raised about what does Jane Austen actually believe about this statement, which we don't know, but certainly to me, it seems like there's this level of disapproval there mm-hmm. and of skepticism yeah <laughs> and then mary oh, mary, mary. <laughs> i feel like mary reminds me so much of mrs bennett from mary's Kate like a Pegasus. young mrs bennett <laughs> yes yes always going on about her nerves yes and well this line is so awful and classic um so here he is to go away and enjoy himself. And because I am the poor mother, I am not to be allowed to stir. And yet I am sure I am more unfit than anybody else to be around the child. <laughs> oh my gosh. My being the mother is the very reason why my feelings should not be tried. Oh my gosh. I am not at all equal to it. You saw how hysterical I was yesterday. <laughs> oh my gosh. Trying to manipulate the situation. <laughs> yes. So... It is really interesting. I I think that Austin has always had this really keen sense of like sarcasm towards unfit parents. Mm. And we see that in Pride and Prejudice, of course. That's like a major plot point. Yes. Yeah. We see it in Sense and Sensibility. Mm -hmm. Um, It's in Northanger Abbey too. Mansfield Park. I mean, it's, it is like a really prevalent theme. 
and I, but you're right that it's never been so centered as like, uh, as with young children yes. and the source not of the like action. adult children not like with the bennetts yeah in, in where they're like all this. grown up yes and, yeah mm-hmm. well it's well a matter of debate yeah <laughs> poor lydia's yeah. grown up yeah but well, she's out in society so yes. i guess that she's out yes she's out. that's true <laughs> that's a good point um so and i think maybe she uses it to show other aspects of anne because anne's the one who really steps up for the kids well, and what's interesting about that too is that Anne is the only Austin heroine who could have kids this age of her own, you know? And so Anne is like in this parenting role, mm. not by being the natural parent, but by being a natural parent, you know? Uh, okay, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think too that children are such a, like parenting young children is such a locus point of like what does affection look like you know what does care look like attentive care Mm. and so we're seeing just another angle of that and how Anne has that in yeah but how she's not receiving that from anybody and she didn't really have an example no so that's why it's like it's naturally coming from her yes right yeah yeah that is a I have never actually thought about how how interestingly child centric these chapters yeah. are. Yeah, it's because yeah, I just remember also watching. I watched a lot of movies recently of Jane Austen, and I don't remember seeing really kids. No, oh, she's not very interested no. in them. Okay, so then we have <laughs> this really sad line where Anne stays with little Charles. Yep. And she misses out on seeing a, Captain Wentworth. Yes, she's trying to justify it in her heart. Yeah. And like, if you listen to the last episode, John and I talked a lot about Anne's usefulness and how that's mm-hmm. something that she finds really important in herself and how she justifies herself with other people. Mm-hmm. And here it is again here where it's, she knew herself to be of the first utility to the child. And what was it to her if Frederick Wentworth were only half a mile distant, making himself agreeable to others? <laughs> no, it's really sad. It's really it's sad. sad. Yeah. Well, I feel like Anne still holds on to a lot of guilt mm. for the way she rejected him, mm. even though this was eight, it's been eight, eight years. Eight like years, I think today yeah. in today's world, we think eight years get over it, right? Like time has passed. You should have moved on. But in this time period, there's not a lot to do, I think, or new people to meet to quote unquote, get over it. Um, she didn't meet anyone else. No. And, and even if she them. had like, I mean, well, she did really because Charles Musgrove. Oh yeah, that's her. right. <laughs> but he was nothing to compare to. To Wentworth. Yeah. Yeah. It is a long time. And it just, and that is something that this book really hinges on is what's the value of that time that's passed. And I think we're unclear about that at this point. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it all just feels really bitter. Yes. Um, it all feels melancholy. Mm-hmm. But I do think that as we stick with that idea of what is this value of time past, we'll see how time matters in judgment, like how people change, how their judgment changes. Totally. And how 
and mm. has gotten to places in her judgment that she definitely wasn't there before mm-hmm. and Wentworth as well that we haven't we won't see that for a while I don't think yeah. but yeah and I guess when you think of ourselves at 19 and then ourselves at 27 yeah it's a very different picture so yes that all makes sense yes well Wentworth <laughs> Here we are. Here we go. <laughs> what did you think of this scene? Um, I mean, I'm just, okay, so I really feel for Anne. I'm just so sad for her. Yes. That I, I'm sad that he's so, like, when they finally meet. Is that what we're talking about, right? Yes. At first, uh, it, it's a very awkward moment. It's a very, very awkward, awkward, quick. Very quick. Very quick, very barely like acquaintance and no speaking warmth. of time this is a really interesting weird uh moment in contrast with the like heaviness of the eight years because so in my edition it's in chapter are we still in the, are we in the first chapter still, still in seven yeah this is in seven and so it's towards the very end of this chapter mm-hmm. and the description of how they meet is uh, so you would think of like a if this were made into a movie, well, it has been yeah. made into a movie, but if we were imagining two people meeting who haven't seen each other for eight years, who were very much in love and had a tragic romance broken apart by her family and by her own judgment and being persuaded, you'd think that they would describe it and film it and portray it as like lingering glances and, um, conveying that like tension that Mm -hmm. way but instead Austin gives us this scene of just like flutter and bustle and it was a minute's work and Mm -hmm. she repeats minute over and over and moment um so and language like rushed and it would soon be over it was soon over she says that five times some variation of that in this section where we can just see that it's not a romantic moment at all. It's no, it's very horribly it's uncomfortable. Yes. And it really the quickness of it and the rushed nature of it contrasts with the weight of all this history mm. that's behind them. That is so true. I love how you described the movie scene cuz we would, you know, make this last longer. Like yes. you said, we would feel every moment of it. Yes. And then it's like there's in the book, you're right. It's a minute. It's quick. It's done. She's over with. I mean, you should, this paragraph is too long for me probably to read out loud yeah. <laughs> in this moment, but mm-hmm. go back to it in your book and read it. Cause it is very odd. There's like a zillion dashes in it. So it's just like this action, 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 uh, yeah. going back and forth. Like he said a word to Mary about a curtsy passed. Uh, it would soon be over. Uh, it was only a few minutes. So it is really, um, I think that, conveys that the a different form of sadness yes, in that this yeah. rushed non-attention yeah like it almost didn't get any attention no it might as well have been nothing yeah might as well just walk and that was basically what Anne was saying with it was over it was yeah. soon over yeah. it was over that was it that's it we're done we're done everything she's been stressing about and then that is then immediately after that is when she focuses on this eight years. So the contrast between those two is so striking and really devastating. Yeah. Um, 
What might not eight years do? Events of every description, changes, alienations, removals, all, all must be comprised in it. An oblivion of the past. How natural. How certain, too. It included nearly a third part of her own life. Alas, with all her reasonings, she found that to retentive feelings, eight years may be little more than nothing. And of course, she's talking about herself and how yeah. to see him has just devastated her. And she can't. It, it's like nothing has changed. And describing something as a third of your life is pretty significant. Yeah. As a math person, I should know. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> a a big fraction of your life. percent <laughs> of your life. <laughs> and then we have this horrible line. Probably Captain Went one of Captain Wentworth's more more damning moments Oof. in the book. Um that really affects Anne where uh mary of course always the bearer of good news the oblivious one of anyone else around her (laughs) captain wentworth is not very gallant by you Anne, though he was so attentive to me henrietta asked him what he thought of you when they went away and he said you were so altered he should not have known you again ouch oh i had to write that quote down too it hurt my heart (laughs) Like, I can't imagine hearing that someone say that about yourself, that you cared for for so long. No, that you've loved for eight years. Mm-hmm. And was she really that altered? Can someone, like, was she that sad or depressed that she looks so different eight years later? I mean, naturally, she's not 19, however, but. Yeah, and I, I think that's something that in this moment, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, in this moment, Anne's impression is mortification. And she knows that her, as they were, as her very kind father was pointing out that her bloom had left, right? Yeah. So she's aware of that, um, as it says, altered beyond his knowledge and fully submitted in silent, deep mortification. Doubtless it was so, and she could take no revenge for he was not altered or not for the worse. So could you imagine also like Mary, her, her sister, right? Your sister who loves and cares for you. And you, you, you have a sister. I have sisters. You want to protect them, mm-hmm. right? But her sister just throws this comment out there. And it's just so indicative of the Elliot family yes. and the way that they treat Anne. Where yes. again, Anne is not a person with feelings. No. She is a, if she's with Mary, she is of utility, mm-hmm. which is better than being nothing, which is what she is Uh, with Mm -hmm. Elizabeth and Sir Walter. And again, we have this theme, he should not have known you again, where Anne isn't known by anybody. And even Wentworth, who knew her, is now, it's like a a repudiation of that. And I can't even make the connection with the known. (laughs) Wow, what a theme. It's a major theme. (laughs) To really know someone and like you said, no one really knows Anne. No. And this is a blow because Wentworth was the only was one. the one who knew her, who recognized her for the gem that she was yeah. and is, but he's not seeing it right now. Wow. Ugh. But then it says, uh, those words partially come out of him not forgiving her. Yes. Also, I'm like, you're still... Like, again, holding on to resentment mm-hmm. for eight years mm-hmm. after you've gone and done, I mean, we'll see later, but he's gone and done all his travels and life experiences and still 
very hurt. And he said, this is like a little glimpse into his mind at the very end of chapter seven that we see where he, he's, he hadn't forgiven her. She'd used him ill, deserted and disappointed mm. him. Worse, she had shown a feebleness of character mm. in doing so. She had given him up to oblige others. It had been the effect of over-persuasion. So we have ding, 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 persuasion, but he's not even putting it in this category of like persuasion, like rightful persuasion. Mm -hmm. It's over-persuasion, which is actually a super weird phrase. Like what would you think over-persuasion would be? Because if you persuade someone to do something, but do it (sighs) over-persuasion. Isn't it like it... She was it's an intensifier of something that is already uh, an intense thing. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I find that phrase really interesting. Yeah. And I think that it, I think that it might be indicative of Wentworth having gone too far in the other direction, like seeing no room for persuasion of any kind. Mm. Because part of I think the journey of this book is that persuasion can be a very good thing as well as mm-hmm. a bad thing. Definitely. And, but he now, because of his, his bitterness, experience. his yeah. inability to forgive her, he's seen basically all forms of negative of communication, of yeah. persuasive communication as like, oh, that just means they're weak or they can't make up their mind on their own, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I how I'm kind of reading that phrase over yeah. persuasion as a little like glimpse into how he's feeling about persuasive talk. Yeah, general. when you describe it that way too, it just sounds like he's lost all respect for her. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, he thinks he has at least. Yeah. We'll see. Okay, so chapter eight. Oh, what are your thoughts? Doesn't oh. he describe the girl? Oh, he's for? yes, he does. You had <laughs> pointed that out when we were talking, talking. about this earlier. <laughs> He uh, describes what is um, who was asking him. Well, who was he looking for in his a wife? His sister. His sister was Mrs. Like, Croft. Yes, the fascinating Mrs. Croft, <laughs> who I wish appeared more in this book. So they know he's young and single. So obviously he's looking for a wife because that's all they do in those times. Um, <laughs> uh, so when she asked him what he's looking for, some of the things he, he said was a strong mind with sweetness of manner. And I just felt like none of it was physical. It was all on the inside. And I just felt like he's describing Anne, but he just doesn't realize maybe he's describing Anne. Mm -hmm. He doesn't think he is. He's saying, accepting Anne Elliot. This was his only secret exception. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're right. It actually is a pretty dead on description of Anne Elliot. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. So... Did you have any other thoughts on that chapter before we go on to chapter eight? Yeah, let's get on to uh, chapter eight. Okay. Chapter eight. Oh, this is a sad beginning too. They're in the same circle. They're dining in company together and it's just awkward and sad meeting after awkward and sad meeting Mm -hmm. all on Anne's Mm -hmm. end. We don't see it on his end. He's very merry He's with dancing with else. the ladies. He's flirting with Henrietta and yep. Louisa. Yeah. He's being the man of the, the hour. He is. He's the belle of the ball. Yes. Um, He's the shiny new toy. <laughs> yeah. He is. Um, and this line kills me. This line, I think, is such a tragic line. And Anne is reminiscing about how she and Wentworth were in the past when they were engaged. 
She says, with the exception perhaps of Admiral and Mrs. Croft, who seemed particularly attached and happy and could allow, could allow no other exception, even among the married couples, there could have been no two hearts so open, no taste so similar, no feelings so in unison, no countenances so beloved. Now they were as strangers, nay, worse than strangers, for they could never become acquainted. It was a perpetual estrangement. Ugh. And this idea of never even being able to become acquainted yep. is so sad. It is. I don't even know what I else to say I think there's a level that. of civility with being an acquaintance. Yes, yes. And it's just gone past that. Yes. Yes, worse than strangers. Worse, Because yes. strangers, you don't have to be affected by the way that they treat you, see you, or don't see you. Yeah. Um, but you'll be polite and you'll engage in small talk yeah. with a stranger. Yes. Too. Mm -hmm. But you're right. You don't care. Maybe it's bye, never see you again. Or, yeah. Yeah. Or you see a random person, you know, on a walk or whatever, and you, that's it. You, yeah. You just go about your day. Yeah. There's no influence. There's no mm -hmm. effect. And this is the opposite of that, basically. Just get more and more sad for Anne. I know. <laughs> it is. The way that Austin describes these moments, you just, it is difficult at times to sit in. Yeah, I think one way I can think about it is like, if I had a best friend for eight years and then all of a sudden we stopped talking. And then, because, you know, you know each other the best as your best friend, whether it's your husband or female male best friend and then seeing that person eight years later and not even in engage in a small talk conversation with them as an acquaintance like ouch that's really you're, you're kind of going out of your way to hurt that person I feel yeah. like oh I definitely think Wentworth is he's not being uncivil but yeah. he is being cold with great intentionality yeah, that's a great way to describe it. I mean, it's a very directed coldness. Mm -hmm. And Anne is suffering under that. <laughs> so we have the Miss Musgroves just ooing and aahing mm -hmm, over him. Mm -hmm. They get out their Navy list. They all look at it together. And by the way, that's something that I meant to look at before this talk. Um, yes. <laughs> that I was like, what? what would a Navy list actually look like? Yeah. Like, is it a, literally a list on paper or is it like a book? It, Cause at times it sounds like it's kind of a book. Yeah. Like are kind there like pictures? The list, the list of nobility, a list yeah. of Navy officers. Oh like, yeah. That, is, that kind of thing. That is an interesting connection. I hadn't thought of that. Like the baronetage yes, that we that begin one. with um, <laughs> where it's again, but it's very different than that. Cause it's like, there are things coming in and out of it all the time. And, mm -hmm. um, but I didn't look it up. So if any of you listeners know anything about the British Navy list from the early 19th century, I would be very interested to know. And maybe I just need to do some Wikipedia hunting. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Wikipedia. Wikipedia, my wormhole favorite. So I was really uh, enjoyed when Mrs. Croft came on the scene. Yes. And she was describing kind of how she joined her husband on yes. the ships and would go on all these like different places around the world with him. And 
And that was after, I forgot who was saying like women shouldn't be on ships. Wentworth. Wentworth. Wentworth was saying like he only brought um, his friend Harville's family on the ship because Harville asked him to. So Mm -hmm. it was only a a favor for a beloved friend and fellow officer but he would but he said i would never have done it otherwise yeah yeah he's like women don't belong there and she's like uh i did it (laughs) and it was great and i thought again i kind of saw another kind of gender specific situation where the this guy's like no only men can do this and here's a female character who's like no, I can do this too. And I'm a woman. Yes. So that brought me to a question that I've been wondering for a while is, is Jane Austen a feminist? Ooh, this is a really good question. I don't know if feminism, okay, I don't before, know if feminism was a thing at her time. Right, right. So it wouldn't be like feminism as we, we know it, it today, yes. as the movement of feminism. But kind of questioning gender roles and where women kind of lie in that. Belonged and didn't belong. Yes. What, what would, before I share my thoughts on that, what are your thoughts as you ask that question? Well, when I look at her life as an independent, self-sufficient woman, I kind of feel like she is supportive of women being independent or women taking on worker careers or making choices that are not just getting married. And so I see that as kind of like a a feminist thing, I guess, in a way where she's saying women and men can both make their way in life. Mm -hmm. Kind of. Yeah. I think that I, so I think this is, so last week, I don't, if you guys remember, John and I talked a lot about class in her novels Mm -hmm. and how she's kind of, conflicted at points. And I feel like Jane Austen and gender is another point where there's this really interesting conflict going on where she is a traditional, uh, traditional thinker, I think in regards to like really valuing, um, say like, character um she wanted the character of the gentry to fit this like old expansive ideal and it wouldn't and then so she changed she changes her mind and decides that's not a good model anymore but that's what she had wanted that's Mm -hmm. where her impulses of writing and and her ideas about how people in the upper classes should act they were grounded in what would have been a more old-fashioned idea Very true yeah and so I feel like this might be a similar kind of moment where she has these ideas for women where she's written book after book where women marry happily. It's yes. not marriages of duty. It's yes. not marriages. It's a choice. It's a choice. They are, um, a lot of them are empowered in their own mm-hmm. time and place and way. Um, but they're still ending with this um, more traditional setup. Yeah. True. like Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy. Yes. It's a very good marriage. It's not just like a love match. Mm-hmm. It's also a very good, like mm-hmm. socially good marriage. <laughs> <laughs> All the positives. Yes. Um, and that's why I think this is really, I think you're, you've hit on something that is a fascinating little moment of tension where we see Wentworth articulating something mm-hmm. that Mrs. Croft, who is a different kind of woman, mm-hmm. a different kind of woman. And who, by the way, is a model for Anne because Anne, yes. again, sorry, spoiler alert. 
and will become a Navy wife, you know, fingers crossed if all works out with Wentworth, uh, which it's a Jane Austen novel. So yeah, so, it's a rom-com. Yeah. Um, but so she is this model of a marriage mm-hmm. model of she's better at some things than her husband is. And yes. some things that are traditionally male things like handling money, Mrs. Croft does that in their relationship. So there is this changing model and this changing idea of where is a, where's a woman's place? Mm-hmm. Where's Anne's place? Mm-hmm. Where do women belong? Yeah. And we're seeing this expansion of that idea. It's not just in a manor house anymore. Mm-hmm. That's true. And we'll, Wentworth yeah. is wrong about it here. Yes. <laughs> as I think Austin makes clear in the way that she writes Mrs. Croft's response to it. Yes. Yeah. He sounds so stubborn and she sounds so wise. <laughs> yes. Where we can tell he's responding out of being burnt <laughs> off of Anne. Yeah. And she's responding out of her true love and desire to be with her husband. Yes. So their motivations are so different there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, feel like I, think, I really like Mrs. Cross. Yeah, Croft. I know. She's great. I think that you know, we can't say, yes, Jane Austen is a feminist. (laughs) But what we can say is Jane Austen is asking the question, where do women belong? What are women's roles? What can they do? What is good for women to do? And she's broadening answers to that question Mm -hmm. in this book. Yep. um, In my opinion. Definitely. Yeah. I wonder if she's, if she writes this as she's thinking about it or is she or has like an idea in her head about it because sometimes I think you write a story and you re- you explore an idea as you're yeah. writing right well we know that okay so Persuasion was Austin's last novel which we talked right. about and it's not so a lot of her earlier novels she wrote in her early 20s it's so like Pride and Prejudice Sense and Sensibility a couple of the others and um, then didn't publish them for like a decade at mm-hmm. least. Mm-hmm. So revised them heavily and, and then eventually published them. Persuasion and Mansfield Park, I believe it's Mansfield Park, um, but I could be wrong. I don't have that book right in front of me. Those were written and then published like in fairly quick succession. And this was later in her life. So I do think these are things that she's processing yeah. and thinking through that are different than, than when she was 21. Definitely. Yeah. And in Mansfield Park, she's a very strong female character. Mansfield Park is fascinating. <laughs> Maybe we should do that another time. <laughs> yes. Cause I've only seen the movie. Yes. So. Oh, the movie's not very good either. Honestly. Well, the BBC adaptation is okay, but Okay. So did you want, did you have anything to add? We have this, that interesting scene. I had a, their different motivations and how they answer. Yeah. I, I, I have one thought where I'm, I just don't real. how does no one realize that they're not, they don't even talk or look at each other. Like, don't they know that they had met before previously? <laughs> they don't oh, actually. No. I thought Mary at least knew that. Well, Mary is so self-absorbed. Okay. self-absorbed. <laughs> Charles would have known that, but no one else knows that they have met previously. No, Charles okay. doesn't know. So, um, okay. in the in the last section, I think is when it talks about how Anne is relieved that no one probably knows mm-hmm. because uh, 
her father was too proud to mention it. Okay. And Lady Russell okay. didn't bring it up out of delicacy. I see. So, so no one knows. No one knew that they were engaged. But so didn't, when I would think it's weird if I saw two people in a group that just never like avoided each other. Like, oh, play. for sure it's weird. Like, why does no one pick up on that? Because it's Anne. <laughs> like, it's another one of those okay, moments, okay. you know, where it's like, Anne is there playing the piano for other people to dance. Yes. Anne is taking care of the sick kid. Yes. Anne is not calling attention to herself in any way. And, but so more so, people aren't a character attending to her. Yeah. That's very true. I have two very sad quotes from Anne. Oh, no. More sad, <laughs> quotes. More sad quotes. This is the, the section of sad quotes. Yeah. So you mentioned she's playing the music for all of them so they can dance and she's just playing the music. Where is this, by the way? I, it's which chapter? It's chapter eight. It's chapter eight. Yes. Oh, there it is. Oh, here it is. Oh, I know which one it is. Okay, read it. So Anne's playing the music and it says, though her eyes would sometimes fill with tears as she sat with the instrument, she was extremely glad to be employed and desired nothing in return but to be unobserved. That broke my heart that she's sitting here playing music so her love could dance with someone else and she's crying. (laughs) Yes. And that's so, that last little phrase, desired nothing in return, but to be unobserved. unobserved. There is a deep sadness in that idea, for one thing, that that's the height of your, of your ambition in, in, in company, company, in company with other people. It's just don't observe me. Don't look at me. <laughs> but also, I think that uh, one of the transformations of Anne that we're going to see is Anne learning how to be observed? Mm. Like, I'm I'm not gonna say it right now because okay. we'll, we'll wait till later. But okay. something to flag as you keep reading is Anne learning how to be observed and uh and not just hoping to be like utilized in the background, mm-hmm. just not just to be useful. Yes, yes. And there's another sad quote Oh no! following okay. that. Um, so she's still playing the music for them. And she says, um, once she felt that he was looking at herself, observing her altered features, perhaps trying to trace in them the ruins of her face, which had once charmed him. The ruins of her face. It's Ugh. like, it's like she's a, the, this, that phrase always makes, whenever I've read this, paragraph it makes me think of like uh, a crumbled like castle Mm. in England (laughs) like um of this trying to figure out where each room was and wandering among these ruins and knowing the past and the history that were there but But there's nothing there but these just crumbled pieces and it is not a flattering picture of Anne's face. No, we haven't had any flattering things of her face yet. No. And that's all I have for chapter eight. It's just sadness. And and chapter eight ends with, again, that theme of like, of worse than being unknown is complete coldness and lack of openness, lack of sincerity. He, uh, their only interaction is Wentworth saying, oh, I'm sorry, this is your seat. Yeah. Um, and like withdrawing. Yep. 
And the chapter ends with, Anne did not wish for more of such looks and speeches. His cold politeness, his ceremonious grace were worse than anything. Ugh. So on to chapter nine. Let's keep going. <laughs> Wentworth's at Uppercross every day. Um, everyone is obsessed with him. <laughs> except for poor Charles Hader. Oh yeah, Charles. And like, okay, I want to know, is Jane Austen doing like kind of a silly pun that his last name is Hader? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like your Richard and Dick thing earlier. But is it like Charles Hader, like really his strongest character feature. Like he's this nice young man, yeah. but his strongest character feature in this section is that he doesn't like Captain Wentworth because he's in love with Henrietta. Yes. It's very, uh, it's a bummer. Yeah, definitely. As so much as poor Charles or well, poor Mr. Hader. I, I feel like Jane Austen loves a love triangle. Oh, she does. She definitely does. Um, and what is funny in this bit is Charles and Mary Musgrove arguing over who Wentworth prefers. Oh yes. And arguing over how good of a match Charles Hader is. Mm -hmm. And this line from Mary <laughs> is uh, Mary's convinced that Wentworth likes Henrietta better, who supposedly had this thing with Charles Hader, yes. but Mary's mad about that. So she's convinced that it's Henrietta yeah. and Wentworth. And Charles is convinced <laughs> that it is uh, Louisa. Yeah. And Mary says, Charles may say what he pleases, cried Mary to Anne as soon as he was out of the room, but it would be shocking to have Henrietta marry Charles Hater. A very bad thing for her and still worse for me. <laughs> Back to Mary, it's all about Mary. <laughs> it's just a classic Mary oh, moment where yeah. she doesn't like what we've seen is that Charles Hayter and Henrietta did have some kind of affection, like yes. a real affection yeah. for each other, especially on his end. And um, but the only thing Mary can see is that he is like slightly less important mm -hmm. than the Musgroves and then Wentworth and so she sees it as this degrading alliance and yeah. so she's just an Elliot. Elliot it's such an Elliot move yes <laughs> it's ridiculous but yeah I just I love how Jane Austen writes love triangles you know she's always trying to mix it up there mm -hmm. it's kind of like um Elizabeth and Wickham and Lydia and Darcy, like they all kind of mixed, overlapped and mixed, mixed together. Mm -hmm. And then and Emma with, um, something bad with the names. I just saw this movie recently. She and Churchill. Frank oh, Churchill. Frank Churchill. And then um, yes. Jane Fairfax. Yes. Yeah. And then, and, and Emma with um, Elton. Elton. Oh, he's and, a horrible character. And Speaking her friend, of horrible characters. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. He's so obnoxious. Yeah. There's always something. There's always someone, there's like three or four people all mixed up with their feelings together. Yeah. yeah. Well, so much of Austin's action comes from like these little delicate situations where it's like the slightest word, the slightest little tip. Mm. And if you aren't reading the room correctly, yeah. like Anne is basically the reverse of Emma. Cause the joke of yeah. Emma is that Emma never reads the room correctly <laughs> ever, ever. Emma thinks Elton is in love with Harriet. Mm -hmm. Emma thinks that, um, 
Churchill likes Churchill her. is in love with her. Yeah. Emma thinks that Jane Fairfax is a cold, heartless, bad person. <laughs> um, Emma doesn't understand that she's actually in love with Mr. Knightley. Yes. Oh, and she also thinks Mr. Knightley likes Harriet. Yes. Yep. So we have this, Emma is constantly not reading the room, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And Anne is like caught in reading the room. Yeah. And she keeps, there's actually the language of reading, which I noted, but didn't have a section to show you. Um, but if you if you watch, you see Anne constantly trying to read Wentworth. She's trying to read his feelings. Oh, yeah. She- and finding it very difficult slash just generally discouraging yeah she's just there like constantly making observations of the room Mm -hmm. and it's so funny you say it's the opposite of emma and i started reading reading this and thinking um in this chapter who does jane austen what character does she relate to the most because she writes all about observations of Mm. society and relationships and gender roles so i wonder if she sees a part of herself in anne of being in the room and observing the people around her Mm. That's a collecting good stories or I mean on one hand we can it's unanswerable right totally. it's like she'd have to tell us herself who she relates to the most but from our outside perspective mm-hmm. I do feel like you know um Anne Elliot is a really um interesting potential representation for Jane herself this person who is always observing mm-hmm. and uh, especially since Austin didn't receive the fame that she so justly has today during her own lifetime. Mm -hmm. Um, She certainly was receiving accolades, but she died virtually penniless um, at a young age and hadn't lived to see this immense popularity of her books and had potentially unrequited love relationships Mm -hmm that had affected her we don't know that for sure how deeply those go there's so much no, speculation. There's speculation there's so much speculation but definitely that, that is a possibility for her life and so i think Anne is a good contender for that or the other option maybe just like a one side of her personality yes when she was known like Anne, to yes. be often quiet in company and mm. then very witty very uh observant and uh wise in her in in what she was seeing in other people as I mean how could she not be you can tell when you Mm -hmm. read her book she's got this keen eye for Mm -hmm. human nature so yeah I don't know what do you think but I also think she would relate to Elizabeth Bennett yes strongly yes so I kind of maybe she has different aspects of her personality in the different characters and maybe as some of I think too, I could see her, she writes Eleanor Dashwood so sympathetically mm, yes. in Sense and Sensibility. It's true. And a lot of like critics write that they think that Fanny in Mansfield Park is a semi-autobiographical oh, character, which is really that's interesting. interesting. But I haven't read very much about that claim so I can't speak to that but I know that that's a claim that's floating out there in the world so Henrietta Louisa Henrietta Louisa we don't know Mm -hmm. and then we have this again fascinating moment with a child at the center of things this is the what ends Mm -hmm. chapter nine yeah and it's 
very strange, and this was something I wanted to ask you about, what you thought of this scene where Anna's struggling with the younger child, the uninjured child, Walter. Mm-hmm. He's like clambered up on her back. He's being a huge pain. Yep. She's saying He's like <laughs> not obeying her, not, yeah, listening, not listening to, to her. her. And um, Charles Hader is there Charles. being semi-useless as usual. Yep. Bless him. He's saying, obey your cousin. I am your cousin. It's like, oh, what, what is have your you aunt? ever met a two-year-old? <laughs> have you ever met a two-year-old Charles Hader? Yeah. You clearly haven't. Um, and Wentworth goes and takes that he's in this close physical proximity to Anne. He uncurls the child's fingers from around her neck and carries the child away. And Anne is like rattled. She is deeply touched by this. Um, she has to take a moment to calm herself. She's nervous and overcome. And why do you think that this moment is, there's so much time spent describing this moment. You're right. It's such a major moment mm-hmm. and it's something so small, so delicate. Kind of like they say, actions speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. So just describe the action clearly to kind of emphasize the importance of it. And when, you, when you're describing this just now, maybe you think it's like a hint of kindness that he's finally yes. showing her, like melting thawing. or um, yeah, thawing. Maybe the coldness will leave soon or there's a, a glimmer of hope that maybe they can at least be acquaintances or... Or something and I just liked the quote where it says um for Anne after he removed the child her sensations on the discovery made her perfectly speechless mm. yes what do you think I think that you're definitely right where it's a moment of kindness and of thawing that makes this powerful impression I also think that it is somebody attending to Anne instead of Anne attending to other people. Yeah. And no one has done that yet. Yes. You're so right. And so it's Anne in visible irritation and distress, even though it's really small, it's just mm-hmm. a child being annoying. Yeah. Being a, child, being a child. But the fact that it's so small even makes it maybe more impactful. It's not like Anne, like, sprained her ankle while on a walk and he had to carry her home in the rain you know like marianne where it's this like dramatic dramatic emotional moment of of aid yeah it's such a small act of kindness but it shows it betrays this Mm. minute attention that he's still that he's trying to basically block but that it's there yes oh i love that someone attending to her and helping her like a true partnership. <laughs> yes. Well, I think that's kind of part of the whole question of this book is like, what does a true partnership look like? Mm. And that's why I think the crafts are always like popping up in the background. Yeah. Because they're true partners. Yeah. They're like equals in the relationship. They are, which is really weird, really shocking for, true for, for an American time. Period. Yeah. Yeah, but what a way to end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of hope, Mm -hmm. but also very painful and agitating. That's the language used to describe it. Um, But yeah, something is thawing. So that's the end of chapter nine. That's chapter nine. 
Well, wow, we did it. We did it. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Oh, Thank so you fun. for being here with me in person. Yes, I'm so glad we could do this in person. I'm staring into your beautiful blue eyes. Oh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. And um, yeah, next week we'll do chapters 10 through 12, volume one. So be sure to check those out. And here I have to give my boring, stupid spiel about uh, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and subscribe to the podcast and uh, the blog. One of any of those, (laughs) but more so with more Mm. feeling, even though please do those things. I would love it if you did. Um, But with, with even more feeling, I would like to add, if you have thoughts, questions, ideas, I would Mm, love to hear them and um, love to add them to the conversation, to the summer old book club. And you can uh, email any of those ideas or questions at oldbookswithgrace at gmail.com or Alternatively, you can comment them on the YouTube video or Or. (laughs) alternatively, again, I have an Instagram account and you can follow it on Instagram, old books of grace with, um, what are those underline uh, underscore underscores (laughs) with underscores in between the words. So there you go. There you go. Um, I actually thought the questions you posted last time were very interesting. Oh, thank you. Yes. About Shout out to uh, Chelsea Fisk Swanson, Mm. who is actually our um, upcoming guest, who answered them on the Instagram. And I deeply appreciated that. (laughs) Hey, Chelsea. (laughs) But thank you so much for joining me and Marissa. And um, I hope that you enjoyed it. I look forward to it.